listening to First Church Charlotte. Beautiful day. I was somewhat concerned that our uh, snow day, also known as psych, uh, <laughs> uh, in Carolina we we have a lot of snow days that can also known as psych. When I was growing up, I used to pray for snow so I wouldn't have to go to school. And there would be like just enough snow to show up on the leaves of the trees, and that's all. And I would feel forsaken of God. Uh, now now I, I don't pray for snow near as much. Uh, but we do have this thing going on in Carolina. We need to pray that be fixed. If you'll notice, for the last two or three years, every snow or ice we've had has been on the weekend. Have you noticed that? every single one for I think three years now we've not had a single snow or ice during the week that I can remember maybe I'm just the preacher and that's what I worry about I don't know but I cannot remember and this is a very very sad reality because my son doesn't get to miss school and so his prayer request is that you would pray the next good sleet or snow we have happens ideally on a Monday morning it starts snowing around uh, 11 on Sunday night and then snow deeply, and uh, and then Monday morning it would be out of school, and then Tuesday morning it'd be out of school, and Wednesday morning would be a late start. So that's my son's prayer request for all of you here. It's also the preacher's prayer request because I'm tired of worrying about Sunday. I just wanted to snow on Monday. Monday's the devil's day. Everybody knows Monday is from Hades. Monday is nothing but H-E double hockey sticks. You know it's the truth. Don't start screaming down here just because I'm talking like y'all. You see what I'm saying? So um, anyway, that's what we need. Uh, you may notice we have these uh, huge big screens up here that are hanging up here in a very modern and cool, cool fashion. And you probably secondly wonder why we have a huge screen and a small picture. Because this is the new trend. This is the way all the coolest churches are going. And over time, we're going to get it smaller and smaller while the screen gets bigger and bigger. Uh, actually, actually, these are brand new screens. These are the best screens money can buy. Uh, and we have the screens up, but we don't have the new projectors up. And uh, Espeth, where are you at, Espeth? Espeth, I see you back there. Uh, Espeth has a company that specializes in technology and that kind of a thing. And the Lord has tremendously blessed his company and him and his family. And uh, he has always said, if the Lord will bless me, I will bless the church. And uh, he donated these new screens. Also, the two new projectors that will fill the screens up uh, will be mounted. Uh, these, these are too close. Uh, and so you're going to have great big screens up there. And so if you just keep praying that the Lord would bless Espeth, he's already shown he will bless the house of God with a blessing. So just, just at ladies' prayer meeting, just say, send him a million dollar job. Send him a million dollar job. <laughs> Uh, you'll get him eventually, brother. I believe it. But he has uh, uh, very generous in his heart. And I'm excited about what happened. Well, what we do up here, we get these big screens up here. We'll get all kind of cool stuff go up here. Pretty soon, I won't even have to preach good. <laughs> I'll just be up here and I'll be like, and then the Lord said, voila. And people will immediately say, oh, my Lord, that's the best I've ever heard in my life. It's kind of like because of the times. You know, y'all don't know about this conference. You just get there and say, God is love, and people fall out. That's the best I've ever heard. I've never heard it like this before. You go to your home church, and you preach seven wonders in six years, and nothing. Anyway, just having fun. Okay, quick update on scheduling. All right, so Christmas Eve, we will have one service at 11 o'clock here at uh, the church. 11 o'clock on Sunday, we will not be having uh, Sunday school because we have so many people traveling. If you just bring all your kiddos in, into the church house in the 11 o'clock service, that's going to be a lot of fun. I don't have a confirmed schedule on uh, New Year's New, uh, the New Year's Eve. If you would like to do a watch night service, I need to hear from you. I'm not going to just do it just because you have, you know, whatever. I'm obligated. If you want to do one, let's do it. Uh, but let me know one way or the other. And so um, it will be a lot of fun uh, there. And I'm 
glad to see you all in the house of the Lord. I love you all. I'm so thankful the Lord has kind of knit our lives together. And uh, I want to do a really great job for you today. And I, I did my best in the 9 a.m. service, and it was kind of pitiful. I'm not going to lie. All of them can't be good. And so this is my second shot. And if I don't do better than the 11 a.m. service, then my wife's taking my allowance. And um, so y'all pray that I'll be really anointed in this in this this 11 a.m. service because I need money. It's a real sad reality in my life. So I want my goal today is I want to do something that a lot of time us us preachers don't do, and that is um, we we celebrate as we should. We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate Jesus primarily from a religious perspective, and we we forget the tremendous influence. Uh, that Jesus has had on our world and on our society in a much broader way than simply can be described in terms of faith. Now, why would I want you to know this? Because I want you to be proud to be Christians. This is what I want you to see. I'm not just doing this because, you know, I had nothing else. I've got tons of stuff. I've got stacks of stuff. What I want you to see, I want you to be proud to be Christians, not just from a religious perspective. I want you to be proud in your heart to have committed your life to the most influential man who has ever lived, who by his very living and by his dying has changed everything. And so I'm going to, uh, rather than read a text, I'm going to remind you of a scripture that, that the Apostle Paul said, and I'll use it as a kind of a big start, starting block. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Rome this famous scripture that we all know, we all celebrate, that goes like this. In fact, as soon as you recognize it, you can start quoting with me, okay? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So let me just call this, I am not ashamed here this morning, and I want to take you on a little bit of a journey of understanding. Uh, then we're going to pray a little while together, and we're going to have a baptismal today. Dylan, wave your hand, Dylan. Dylan's getting baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus today. And so excited about that. And uh, so let's get started. Touch your neighbor, say, no falling asleep. Say, don't make me slap you in public. And let's get started here today. I am not, I am not ashamed. So uh, we often talk about the impact that Jesus had on the world, but as believers, we primarily see it through the prism of salvation. In fact, Paul in this passage speaks directly and specifically in terms of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. Now, if you try to look at those words, those words in terms of, of, of roots, in terms of the individual word choice and the foundations of meaning, you'd, you'd have to get into uh, understanding of what we mean by uh, a gospel. Uh, gospel literally is the good news. That is quite distinct from the good doctrine, from the good theology. Uh, the good news is not an, uh, a theological argument. Uh, it is simply an announcement that Christ has changed everything and enabled us us to partake of eternal life through him. It is literally that simple. It's the gospel. It is the good news. Jesus changes everything. I, I want to say it in terms of your life, whatever it is you are going through, wherever you are living, whatever circumstances you specifically face, this is good news for you. Jesus changed everything by his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return to the power of the Holy Spirit. He changed everything. That is the good news for you. Whatever you're facing, uh, God changed everything. And so because of Jesus Christ, you can have a healed spirit, a, a spirit that has been healed by, uh, uh, by the Lord. Your spirit can be made whole. A lot of us need healing in our spirit more than we need healing in our body. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the old you does not hold you in the captivity of a prison or a rut. Uh, the old you does not have power over you. The, the sin that you have known in your years of coming to age and coming to formation, it does not hold you. Through Jesus Christ, you get to start over. Yes. 
That's the good news. Through Jesus Christ, there is hope. Through Jesus Christ, we are not in chains of bondage. Through Jesus Christ, we are victorious. Man, if I was preaching at a Baptist church, they'd like that part right there. Uh, let me say it again. Because of Jesus Christ, we are free from all of that stuff that holds us in bondage. And so I want you to see, yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ for us primarily refers to the context of faith. We have new hope through Jesus Christ. We have a new walk through Jesus Christ. But I want to do more than simply leave you with a sense of, yes, I believe in Jesus. I have applied the blood through faith into my life. I've taken on his name. I have been filled with his spirit. I want to do more than that with you today. I want to make you proud to be a Jesus follower. And I want you to see that even beyond, even beyond faith, Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to this world. Let me say it again. Even beyond faith, even beyond an altar, Christ is the greatest thing that ever happened in this world. You see, it is popular nowadays to look askance at Christians. It's popular to make fun of Christians. Uh, in fact, the Christians are the only group left that you can uh, make fun of publicly and with not get criticized for it. If you make fun of any minority group, my goodness, they come after you. If you make fun of any sexual orientation, my goodness, they come after you. If you make fun of any nationality, any uh, circumstance, any uh, person with a particular, they come after you. But if you want to make fun of Christians, well, they'll make a movie with you. Don't get quiet on me now. You know it's the truth. If you want to make fun of Christians, uh, they'll make a movie with you. They'll put you on the news. They'll promote your book. It is popular to make fun of us people who are changed and uh, seeking to live by the tenets of the, this man, Jesus Christ. Even so, I want to let everyone know I'm proud to be a Jesus follower. Yes, I'm proud on the level of my faith. Yes, I was lost, but Jesus found me. Yes, I was blind, and now I see. Yes, I'm proud on the level of my faith. But I want to say it beyond that. I'm proud of what Jesus represents philosophically. I'm proud of what Jesus represents socially. I'm proud of what Jesus represents as far as free will. I'm proud of what he represents as far as equal rights. I'm proud of Jesus. And so, let me... Uh, share with you a few things that you have perhaps heard, but is in some ways a great reminder. Uh, the empire that was astride the earth when Jesus was born has been uh, lost to history. It is now uh, a place of uh, different politics, uh, different world conditions, and the Roman Empire is in ruins. Uh, the Greek Empire is in ruins. The Carthage Empire Empire is in ruins. All of these world empires have all uh, passed, but Jesus's influence still grows. Christianity is the largest faith in the world, and contrary to what you might have heard, if you look at the world as a whole, Christianity is still the fastest growing faith across the world. Now, in any one nation, that may be different, but overall, Christianity is the center defining faith of our world. More books have been written about Jesus than any other person in history. More nations use his words in their founding documents and in the bedrock of their civic values than any other any other writer. Uh, my favorite historian, Will Durant, uh, said this, the triumph of Christ is the beginning of democracy. He was not a believer. He was a historian. He was not a Christian, but he says it well. The triumph of Christ was the beginning of democracy. I'm not just proud to be an American. I'm not just proud to be a part of a democratic society. I'm proud to believe in Jesus. 
I'm proud of what he stands for. I'm proud of the philosophies that he espoused. I'm proud of the ethical system that he established that has changed the world. I'm not just saying I'm proud and I'm pleased and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm saying I am proud, I am pleased, and I'm not ashamed of the man Christ Jesus. In three and a half years of ministry, Jesus uh, changed the world. His message was so unlike anything that had ever been heard. His philosophy was so clear and counter-indicated to the human condition. In other words, opposite of our human instincts that it shook the very foundation of the world. The historian H.G. Wells, when asked who left the greatest legacy on history, says, by this test, Jesus stands first. I want Mr. Wells to know Jesus still stands first. Yale historian Yaroslav Pelikan, I can't, I can't miss, I'm massacring his name, forgive me, said this, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars, and it is by his name that millions curse, and in his name that millions millions pray. I want you to know Jesus changed everything. I want you to be proud to be a Jesus follower. I don't want you just to console yourself in the darkness of your night and say, oh, I've believed in Jesus. Everything is going to be okay. I want you to walk through this world with a sense of pride. The greatest teacher who has ever lived showed you a way of living and you're trying to live that way. The greatest philosopher who has ever taught showed you a way of being and you're trying to walk in that way. You're not just claiming claiming him as an object of veneration. You're not just holding to him as the object of faith. What you are doing is saying, never spake a man like that man. And his words are so profound His words are so true that even if there was not a faith as I know it, those words would still have changed the world. You see, if you don't see this, you'll be always the apologetic Christian. Yeah, you believe in your salvation, but you're not proud to be a Jesus follower. I want to declare it today. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, no. But I'm also not ashamed of the man who stood before the accuser and said, neither do I condemn famous passage by Reverend James Francis preaching in 1926 and has become become popular and known and recounted and quoted many, many times by preachers all over the world. When I start reading this, you will immediately recognize it. You will have heard it many times. This was preached first in 1926, Reverend Francis titled One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. Never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched 
all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever set, all the kings who ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. I want you to know today, Jesus changed everything. There have been many books written on this subject, and I have uh, referenced a few of them. I have looked through them. There's many lists done by historians. Of course, there is people who would contest it because there's always somebody trying to rain upon the parade of faith. That's okay. That's their right. They don't bother us any. They should just keep on doing whatever they want to do. The dogs bark, but the parade goes on by. Uh, So here you see five areas that are brought out by uh, historians. There are more than these, but these are uh, the ones that I am going to give to you. I spent more time on each of them this morning in the earlier service. I'm going to try to be more succinct uh, in this service today. Uh, I'm trying to keep my allowance, you know, as I mentioned earlier. So uh, the first thing I want you to think of that Jesus has changed and changed everything is Jesus through his words and his philosophy, not just the statements of faith whereby we become people of faith, but the way in which he looked at humankind, the way in which he spoke and taught us how to live. Jesus' words created within society a a new and growing value for human life. Christ was born in a brutal time, a very brutal time. Can you imagine a society where for entertainment, you take your children to see two men kill each other with swords. And there, the, the, the stink of death and the awful that flows out of the human body when it's rent by a sword, and you smile at your children, and you say, isn't that awesome? Can you imagine a world like that? Well, that's the world Jesus was born into. Can you imagine a world where you take your child to see some slave, some desperate person, some person without any recourse thrown into an arena with a wild lion or some beast of prey and there that individual so frail so weak without tooth or claw like a beast of prey is faced to force a force to face I should say some beast that looks at them and growls at them and then leaps upon them ripping and tearing and that poor person ineffectually waving their pitiful hands that are so good at dexterous things but so pitiful when put against a beast of prey and you smile at your child and say, isn't that awesome? Can you imagine a world like that? That is the world that Jesus is born into. It is a harsh world where life means next to nothing. If you have a child and that baby is born and you decide you don't want the hassle, uh, it was very, very common. It was legal to take the baby and simply leave it outside. And of course, babies are so fragile. If you leave a baby exposed one night without cover, they will die of exposure. Horrible, but it was the world Jesus was born into. This is the world Jesus was born into. It was a world where there were more slaves than there were free men. It was a world where there was more pain than there was joy. It was a world where only a few lived at the expense and the butchery and the domination of the great masses. But Jesus came into this world and Jesus shows a value for life that is unprecedented in the history and the story of human philosophy. And change doesn't come fast to the human heart. It doesn't. Change doesn't come fast to societies. Change doesn't come fast in uh, generations. Uh, But slowly and surely through the philosophy of this man, the world begins to change. Yes, I'm not ashamed of my faith. Yes, I'm thankful that I've been given a new name in glory. Yes, I'm thankful that the old me is put away. But let me say to my generation, I'm not ashamed of the man Christ Jesus. I'm proud to be associated with this man. I'm proud to be associated with this one who taught us life had more value than simply something to be toyed with. The second change that the Lord brought 
in time through his teaching. And again, this is not just my ideas. This is multiple books on this subject. Is to change society's view of the value of women. Uh, women uh, were very much property of their husbands in this time. And it was uh, not a great time to be a woman. And I've never been a woman, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, but <laughs> I have no intention of ever being a woman. If I get to heaven, you're going to see a manly Nate standing right there. That's right. And if you don't doubt it, I'll grow a beard or something, just so you will know, like they do in the East. Bless God. I'm like those Pharisees. I get up every morning and say, thank God I'm not a woman. No, I'm teasing. I loves you women. You women's are awesome. So anyway, moving along before I get myself in any more trouble than I'm already in. Women were very much devalued in this society. A woman could not give witness in court. They were considered worth uh, no uh, witness. Also, a slave couldn't give witness in court, so that gives you a, a rough idea about how valuable women were treated. Uh, women uh, oftentimes uh, had very little or no property rights. Uh, they did not have the right to carry on, in many cases, any business uh, of their own. They had the right to know um, uh, a state value of their own. They were uh, pretty much treated as a type of property. And Jesus comes along and shockingly, Uniquely, uh, he values women. He uh, values women in such a way that uh, he includes his ministry to women as part of his testimony of the kingdom of heaven. That is very, very important because it changes. It Remember, change doesn't happen fast, but this is the seed that's going to grow over the generations. And he values women. When he meets the woman at the well, he does not see her as property of her husband. He does not see her as somebody to be corralled like livestock by a man. He sees her as an individual, and he values her as an individual, and he ministers to her as an individual. This is unique in the history of the story of this time and the philosophy of this time. And Jesus Jesus shows his love, his affection in the lives of women. And further, in the veracity, his own claim, to authenticity. He chose to make women witnesses. Remember, they could not be a witness in the court of the Jews. But when he used, he needed testimonies for his resurrection. He chose women to make women part of the veracity, the truth, the proof of claim that he is not here, but has risen just as he said, come and see the place where they laid him. And Mary comes to see and she returns as a witness. No change doesn't happen fast. No, the human heart is very calloused and slow to be reoriented. But any, any, uh, uh, there, uh, so many historians point this out. This is the beginning of the change of the value of women in our society. The third thing that Jesus changed, the third thing that he changed as a philosophical uh, change, not simply, not simply a statement of faith, not simply, oh, Oh, I've, uh, you know, uh, my life's changed. I'm now saved. No, not talking about that. Talking about a philosophy of way of being that we all of us ought to be very, very proud of. And this is Jesus changes the view of the world toward the, the, the poor and toward the lowly and toward the sick. Those losers, shall we say, dare we say, of society. You see, the elites have never had problems. The elites have always garnered to themselves the best of everything. Whatever is available, they take for themselves. It was the poor that was always oppressed. And as a result, you will see over and over and over, in fact, most of the preaching of the minor prophets in the Old Testament is this problem of religion catering to the blessed, catering to the one percenters, catering to the elite, catering to the winners of a society, and ignoring the poor. Pick any minor prophet at random in the Old Testament and read their writings and you will see it's not just among the faith of the heathen there, there that there is this problem. It's also among that covenant of Moses that has this problem. And Jesus turns it all upside down and instead of devaluing the poor and paying no attention to the poor, first of all, he loves them and he points out an advantage they have over the wealthy. He points out a blessing that they have over the elite and that is this. Because they have no resources of their own, the kingdom of heaven is closer to them. 
You won't find that in other religions. <laughs> but in this philosophy of this great, great man, Jesus of Nazareth, he begins to change the worldview of what it means to be poor. And he defines more than poverty of your bank account or poverty of your wallet. He starts defining poverty of your soul. And the truth is you can have gold in the bank and have a soul that is starving and dying. And Jesus takes it further than that. He takes it further. He says the, the most valuable things of life can't be purchased with that money you have anyway. We all of us must become poor so that we might be made rich by the promises of God. What's happening here? Jesus is having an influence in culture. It is out of his teachings that come care for the poor. Let me point out a few things here. I've done this before, and I, I, I'll just touch it briefly and then keep moving. But the first thing is the very first institutions to help people who are less fortunate have Christianity as their founding ethos and their founding ethic and their founding uh, uh, theology. All of them, whether they are orphanages, whether they are hospitals, whether they are care for uh, 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 sick people, hospice services, whatever they are, look at history. They all point back to the philosophy of this man, Christ Jesus, who taught us to honor and help and respect and love those who are less fortunate than us. Proverbs 14 and 21, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, the Bible says. So by the way, if you're in a big fight with your neighbor, there's a very high likelihood that you're sinning. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Christ is the one who speaks into human society, who speaks into the developing ethic of the human society and culture. Christ's words are what speaks into our life and changes the world as we know it. There were no hospitals in the ancient world except for military field hospitals that were set up at the site of battles. There were no hospitals. But in the early days of the church, good people whose life had been changed by Christianity looked around their world and said, what can I do to make my world better? What can I do that my life would reflect the values of this man, Christ Jesus? And they said, well, we could help people who are sick. You want to be like Jesus? Help somebody who needs something. Help somebody who is ill. Help somebody. And they looked around and they We've got to do this. And the first hospitals that arose, arose out of Christianity. In fact, uh, the famous Roman Empire, emperor who tried to turn the empire back to heathenism, in his, in his writings is this statement. If we're going to turn the Roman Empire back to uh, the old gods away from Christianity, we're going to have to start being nice to people like the Christians are. That's not an exact quote, but that's basically what he said. They are helping poor people. They are feeding the hungry. They are making hospitals for the sick people. They are the, the first places, the first places that allowed lepers to be brought into houses of care rather than banished. The first places are Christian places. Not only that, it's more than just health. It's more than hospitals. It's more than hospice services. It is also education. The first places that said, we need to form some type of an institution that helps people and, 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 and educates people. The very first universities in the world were theological universities teaching the Christian doctrine. It's a shame what some of them have become. Well, I got two in agreements on that. It's all right. The first primary schools where kids are taken in were not formed by atheists saying, hey, I have an idea. Let's make the world better. They weren't formed by heathens saying, oh, let's honor our God. The first schools were formed by Christians in the, the, the squalid conditions of industrializing uh, England where Christians said, look at these kids. They're orphans. They're running around. They have no one to help them. Let's start a school for them and just teach them basic things. That's where Sunday school started. Now we think of Sunday school as daycare for people who want to go to church. That's not what it was ever intended to to be. I want to say it again. It's not what it was ever intended to be, and it's not what our teachers are doing right now. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, the first school, we've got to give to, the, we've got to help these kids. No one else is helping them. And out of this care of sick, and out of this care of poor, and out of this care of orphans, and out of this care of, of, of all of these things, uh, all of it is founded on the philosophy, the ethos of this man, Christ Jesus. So you hear me today. I'm not just proud to say I've been saved by Jesus. I'm not just proud to say, uh, oh, I've trusted in the Lord and accepted him in my life and repented my sins and took on his name and filled the spirit. I'm not just proud of that. I'm proud not just of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm proud to serve this man, Christ Jesus. There's nobody like him. He changed everything. You're not going to make me ashamed of the beauty that's in his words. You're not going to make me ashamed of the beauty that's in his ethic. You're not going to make me ashamed of the gorgeous generosity of his life. I'm not just not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. <laughs> There's so many more. So many more. Uh, children were routinely treated uh, in the ancient world, there's a tremendous amount of academic work on this. Children, because they so often died, were treated very coldly by their parents. Not because the parents didn't love them, they did, but there was a very high 50-50 chance uh, in the beginning that they would die. Uh, and oftentimes, children would not even be named for the first several days they had been born. And if they lived, I think it was to the seventh day uh, in several societies, then they would name them. And then there, there, was, there was not much uh, treating special tenderness or care of treating children in, in the ancient world. Now, this isn't my, I'm not a historian. This isn't, this isn't my thoughts. This is well documented by various historians. Um, they, they, they were not really given a childhood. They were seen as little adults. And they were oftentimes treated very, very harshly as a result of that. They were treated almost as competitors. And so this whole ancient practice of exposure, this whole... Uh uh, idea of, of treating them uh, as, as, as children to be cherished and loved. It didn't exist in the, in the world. One Norwegian scholar by the name of uh, uh, Bach um, wrote a study on this impact entitled, When Children Became People, the Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. It was in Christianity that the gentleness begin to come into the human story of how we view and care for children. You know, there's this old song I, 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 I've heard. Some of you know it. In the song, the songwriter's giving advice to some guy who's trying to get his girlfriend to like him or something like that. Who knows? And the name of the song, you all know it, is Try a Little Tenderness. <clears throat> Try a little tenderness. You know what Jesus introduced to the world in a world that only could glorify power Jesus said, try a little tenderness. In a world that could only value the militant, the army, the strong, it's as though the life of Jesus said, hey, try a little tenderness. And you know what we see at Bethlehem? We see the celebration of the only one who has any power laying it down and making himself as vulnerable as possible. There's nothing more vulnerable than a human baby. Nothing. My little girl's three years old, and she told me yesterday that when she's five, she's going to be all grown up. <clears throat> she said, Daddy, when I'm five, I'm going to be all grown up. I said, really? I said, are you going to be done with college? Yes, I'm going to be done with college. She, I said, are you going to be, um, are you going to have a job? Yes, she's going to have a job. I said, are you going to be married? She said, Daddy, you don't have to get married at five years old. <laughs> but let's just be honest. Kids, forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. Parents, have you ever noticed just about how useless kids are? It's pitiful. They are useless. I mean, other than sugars and hugs and kisses. If you told your kids, hey, I need help with the rent this week, will you go make some money? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know what a trial is for kids nowadays? <laughs> no Wi-Fi. <laughs> you really want to get in a kid's head? Kill the Wi-Fi. Dead. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Kids are useless. And you were just as useless when you were a kid. Useless. If your mama wouldn't have picked up your room, that room would have looked like you would have looked like, you, you know what that room would look like. If your mom wouldn't have made you brush your teeth, you'd never brush your teeth. 
you would be known as Sir Dragon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You wouldn't have took showers. Because you had dragon breath and didn't take showers, you never got a job. You never got a job. You would have been a barbarian. In fact, that explains some of you. <laughs> what am I saying? There's nothing more vulnerable than a human baby. It's pitiful. Can't even turn over. My kids turned over the first time I was like, they're geniuses. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> Look, they turned over. Of course, they were four years old, but, you know. <laughs> that was funny. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> Children. Education. An ethic of compassion. An ethic of humility. You think humility was celebrated in the ancient world? Come on. Read some history. They celebrated the victorious. A cultural value upon forgiveness. Do you know what? <clears throat> Let me just throw this in real quick, and I'm almost done. In fact, musicians, you can come and remind me that I'm almost done. Uh, you know, for most of human history, there were debtor prisons. You couldn't pay your debt, you went into prison. You know where the idea not to throw people in debtor prisons came from? Christianity. I want to say this, and I'm not even touching all this. It's easy for us church folks to get together and act like we're more churchified than each other. It's easy for us to posture one for another. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should do all that. I love it. But hear me. More than faith-based hope and more than gospel truth, I want to say the philosophy of Jesus Christ is the most beautiful philosophy that has ever existed. The ethical gift to a society and a culture is the most beautiful legacy that has ever been given. The picture of his humility, he who had glory laid it aside and became like us. He had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. But he was smitten for our sakes. For our sakes he was bruised. Do you see the selflessness in his story? Do you see how the only way up is to humble ourselves? Do you see the only way to meaning is preferring one another? There is no philosophical system. There is no school of thought. There is no ethic. There is no uh, musings of, of philosophy. Any of it that is more beautiful than the life and the words of this man, Jesus Christ. And so while I will always proclaim that I am his through faith, I will also say to my generation, with all their mockery, I am proud to be a Christian. And my apologies to, I believe, Dan Davis, who wrote the song, I Choose to Be a Christian. He said this. He said, if I find out that there's no heaven and there's no hell, and I didn't really have to do all this, I'm still going to be glad I did it. Isn't that a great testimony? A great way to live. So I wanna, I'm going to rip off that idea. So that's why I said my apologies to him. Here's the idea. If you tell me in some day to come, all that wasn't necessary. Living like this wasn't necessary. I'm still going to say, whether I have that faith that I have long held tightly to, or whether I find out that we all are just believers, I still want to say, I want to say it to the devil. I want to say it to the atheist. I want to say it to a generation that mocks every Christian it can find.
there's his star and there's no one like him. I commit myself to that man. I'm so thankful he did not just introduce himself to a world, he introduced himself to me. I'm so thankful he didn't just change the world, he changed me. And I'm here to tell you in the same manner that Christ changes everything, if you will let him work on you, if you will let him put his hand in your hand in his hand, if you'll let him into your life, he will change you just as surely as he's changed everyone here today. Almost every successful program of human change, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or all of the daughter organizations that have sprung out of this, they all are founded on this, Jesus, and faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in a higher power gives you a strength that you would otherwise never have. I want to tell you there's nobody like Jesus. Let's all stand. If you'd like to step out of the chair you're in, we always gather in here at the end. I want to invite you to do that with us here today. Uh, I want you to be proud to be Christians. I don't mean in an arrogant, dismissive way. I mean with that quiet confidence that there's no God like our God, as the Old Testament writer said. I want us to have that quiet, quiet certainty that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Whatever it is you face, if you'll let God work, if you'll become poor in spirit, as the writer said, if you'll become poor and quit looking to your own abilities to solve things and start looking and casting your, 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 your cares, as it were, on the Lord, looking toward Christ as your solution. I promise you, your testimony will join the many, many hundreds of millions of testimonies around the world of how Jesus changes everything. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, we pray for every individual who is here on this holiday Sunday. God, we're so thankful for every heart that has taken time out of their week to know you, to dedicate themselves to you. God, I pray your anointing to each one. I pray your presence to each one. I pray, Lord, we would all of us feel the nearness of your love in our life. I'm praying today that we would all of us be changed by that love. We all of us would be in some way reformed by a love like that that changes everything. Lord, I don't know everything that is being faced by various individuals here in this church today. I don't know, but Lord, I know your love is real and I know your, 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 your promise is sure and that if we can call out to you and desire you, we can be changed by the intervention of your spirit in our life. Minister to our hearts here today. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.
oftentimes we make it about many things besides Jesus Christ, and that's just the nature of the flesh. But we believers, we must let our light shine, and our faith in Christ must be built on more, on more than simply an argument that we offer to the world. Our lives, our lives become the light that shines as testimony, as witness among our our fellow. For listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.